One of my college professors said, Philston, you're always dealing in your papers, you're always dealing with life, the universe, and everything. Would you tone it down? I mean, just focus. So this morning, we're just going to, we're going to focus on just a little small question. How do you change the world? <laughs> uh, okay, I thought that would be a little different in response, but that's all right. I crack me up. I crack me up. <laughs> From the Word of God, Mark chapter 9, 1 to 13. Would you follow along on the screens or in your, in your Bibles as we look into this mysterious transfiguration? Hear God's Word. And he said to them, truly I said to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. And they were coming down the mountain. As they were, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come. And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written that the Son of Man, that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it was written of him. May God bless us through this, his holy word. Let us pray. Create in us clean hearts, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Through Jesus we pray it. Amen. Now you've probably heard it said that the evening news is a a nightly program where somebody says good evening and then goes on to tell you why it isn't. All right, so I'm going to tell you just a few things about the world that needs to need to change from just this past week that uh, that the uh, regime in Iran is close to weapons grade plutonium. That uh, that our social media is now being described in terms that would have only applied previously to the games, the gladiator games in a 
Roman Colosseum. That, um, that the metaphor for tribes that once was a marketing tool, a way of understanding how you pitch to a certain group, has now become much more than a metaphor. How do you change the world? How do you change the world? Would you say through worship? That seems absurd, doesn't it? Because most people would, would be with Archimedes who said, give me a, a lever and a place to stand, a lever long enough and a place to stand, and I can move the world. And so most people would think power, right? The power of politics. The power of education. Some kind of power. Some lever and a place to stand to move the world, to change the world. But what if I told you that poetry can change the world? Poetry. It's been said by so many different philosophers, Nietzsche in particular, that if you control the narrative, you control the next generations. In other words, if you, if you, if you shape the desires through the lyrics of music, if you begin to control the narrative, the desires, you shape the narrative, you shape the culture. And so this morning, let's take a look at how worship, through worship, our desires become centered. That through worship, a noble vision becomes ours. That as we, as we have our desires uh, instinctively called out, right? That's without, everybody worships. There's an instinct to worship. And as, as they center on a noble vision, that noble vision shapes us. There's an instinct to worship. There is a vision for worship. And there is a formation of worship. Through worship, a noble vision becomes ours. Let's take a look. First, through worship. There's an instinct to worship. We all have it. Everybody worships. Everybody worships. The first time I saw somebody crowd surf, it was at Cameron Indoor Stadium basketball game. Now, maybe you can see where I'm going. The point of this first point is everybody worships, right? And here I am at Cameron Indoor Stadium basketball game, right? Now, okay, maybe... maybe Y'all aren't following me because that's not your team. But picture yourself in your stadium or your arena and your behavior the last time you were there. Everybody worships. First time I saw somebody crowd surf, it was at Cameron Indoor Stadium. We, we, had, we had season tickets uh, when I was young, and this was before people paid much attention to Duke basketball. But the, the crowd was already going crazy. The students were right below us. There was a railing right in front of us. And a student climbed up on that railing. And I thought, this guy's crazy. What's going to happen? And he just fell back into the crowd. <laughs> they caught him and kind of passed him all the way down to the court. It was unbelievable. Isn't it amazing when you're at a game and that magic moment, that Gene Banks against, you know, Gene Banks dribbling, dribbling right at the key, turnaround jump shot, against UNC in 1982, sinks it 18 feet, 
boom, nothing but net, and the crowd goes crazy, right? Or I shouldn't, probably shouldn't say the name Christian Leitner, which was kind of similar, you know? I mean, nobody likes Christian Leitner unless you like Duke. And even if you like Duke, you might not like Christian Leitner. But the same kind of moment where it was just like, every, like everybody's holding their breath, and then, it, and then all of a sudden, what happens? Pandemonium. Arms go up. People are celebrating. Total strangers are embracing and high-fiving, right? Everybody worships. Peter's standing there in awe, right? I mean, Jesus has just said in, in the first verse of this chapter that some will see the kingdom come in glory. This is a, this is a view ahead. This is Jesus glorified. This is a glimpse ahead beyond past suffering to see Jesus in his glory. And, and like, like we heard from the Exodus passage, Exodus 33, just a glimpse struck fear in the heart of Peter. And what does he do? He loses perspective. How do we know we lost perspective? Well, and his in- instinct is to worship, right? He wants to set up three tents or tabernacles, right? From the Old Testament, that was the place of worship. Well, let's set up three Now, what's wrong with three tabernacles? Well, the problem with that is, is that now Moses represents the law, Elijah represents the prophets, and here's Jesus, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, and Peter wants to set up three tabernacles, three tents? Well, what's, what's the first law say? One God. Not three gods, one God. You shall... Worship God and God alone. There are no gods before me. And here's Peter. He's out of a sense of fear, but out of an instinct to worship. He wants to set up three tents. Everyone worships. Everybody. Everyone worships. It's in us. It's just instinctive. And we don't always do it right, right? I mean, we don't always center our worship in the way that we should, in the way that we're called to. So we need a vision. We need a clear vision to center our worship. What, what, is, so, what is so great about the Christian vision? What's so noble about the Christian vision for worship? Why is it that we need to have a clear Christian vision for worship? And what's so noble about it? Well, the noble vision of Christian worship is a servant leader vision that leads to the flourishing of relationships. We see this in the way that the Trinity is expressed. We see it in the cross. That God's servant leadership is something that that tells us of the character of God from before all time. That the Trinity is the Father glorifying the Son, the Son glorifying the Spirit, the Spirit glorifying Father and Son. This is, a fancy word for it is perichoresis, that they are they're self-effacing, they are glorifying one another, celebrating each other. It's a beautiful thing when that happens. Verse 7, you can see that, that God is saying, this is my Son, this is my Son. And in other, other verses, just even look at, at John 
15, if you read through John 15, you'll see verses about Jesus giving glory to the Father. He says this, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus is saying, why, do I, why am I making disciples? Why will the Spirit come and empower you to make disciples? For my Father's glory. Verse 26 of John 15, the Spirit of truth is from the Father. Jesus is saying, there's a Spirit that's coming. Jesus calls himself the truth. Then he's saying the Spirit of truth is coming, and it's from the Father. You see, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are self-effacing, always pointing to the other, always glorifying one another. This is the essence of a flourishing relationship. Let me see, illustrate it in human terms. And I read in, in, in Forbes magazine this week this, this story of a guy who, you, you, we've all experienced this now, where he forgot to put his, he's hearing the garbage truck come, right? And he's like, ah, oh, I forgot to put the green can down by the end of the, at the end of the driveway there. I forgot. Oh, runs out, you know, in his boxer shorts, he's running down, you know, he's going down the driveway and he realizes there's his green can. The garbage man is, is dumping his green can into the, into the garbage truck. And he's thinking, oh, my neighbor must have put it down there. That's wonderful. That's so nice. Garbage man drives away, takes the green can back up. The next week, he sees, he, he hears the garbage truck. The can is al already down there. And, um, and then he sees his neighbor running out in his boxer shorts. And he's realizing, and he's seeing the garbage man has his green can. So his neighbor comes down and sees the garbage man taking his neighbor's green can all the way to the end of the driveway. Now, imagine this isn't Thomasville, and that's not normal, okay, right? That, that used to be normal in Thomasville, right? But just imagine you're somewhere else in some other town where, hey, if you, here's how we're going to teach you to put your can out, right? It suddenly occurred to me that that's sort of a funny thing. I'm talking about boxer shorts, and I'm talking about putting your can out. But that, just forget all that, okay? Uh, here's how in... In, in most towns that you would learn to make sure that, that you put your green can at the end of the driveway, you missed it. Sorry. Good luck next time. Stinks to be you, right? And here is this guy. He's looking out this window, and he's watching the garbage man go all the way up, and he takes the green can and takes it down for him. And he realizes it wasn't his neighbor who, who did it last week. It was the garbage man who did it. Now, see, this is a picture of servant leadership, servant leadership. Robert Greenleaf is a, is a, is a, a, a teacher, an educator, a leader, an author who launched a servant leader movement in 1970. He wrote a, an article called The Servant Leader. And he says in that, in that article, he says, the servant leader is just somebody who's just more interested in the, the growth and flourishing of someone else. A servant leader is someone who's interested in somebody else's growth. That's leadership. It's others-centered. And so th with this funny image of, of a garbage man who 
is teaching. Now, this is reflecting on this. This man said, you know, I, I began to think about what this garbage man did and how he went the extra mile for us. And by grace and mercy, he taught us, he taught us not just to put our garbage can out, but to care for him. That, of course, we're now motivated because he poured into our life. He went the extra mile for us. Now, we're being taught by example and a little bit of sense of, of internal pressure, sort of a, a sense of gratitude, a sense that I, I don't, I don't want to treat somebody less than they've treated me. They've treated me with such respect and, and such generosity. And here is the perichoresis. Here is this image you see coming back together again, a father glorifying son, son glorifying spirit, spirit glorifying father and son. See, this is the way that relationships flourish. Not, hey, I'm going to build up a bank account of good deeds with my wife or my my friends or my boss or whatever, and then I'm going to cash them in. This is how we normally think of relationships as a transaction, right? I, a quid pro quo, I scratch your back, you scratch my back. No, this is, I'm not in charge of what you're doing for me. This is a different kind of relationship. This is servant leadership leading to human flourishing. See, before the cross, before the cross, as Tom Holland says in his book, dominion before the cross the world operated by transaction the world operated by might makes right the world operated by the strong dominating the strong eating the weak tom holland was not a christian he is he's a a top notch world class historian and he went to look to see, when did the world change? When did the world change? The world changed, he discovered, with the cross. Somebody said the cross is the hinge of history. The world changed with the cross. Prior to the cross, there was no vision of servant leadership. There was only transaction. There was only might makes right. There was only the strong eat the weak. And then within a short time, Christianity swept over the Roman, uh, the Roman Empire and the culture changed and servant leadership became the norm. Relationships began to form around a noble vision. But it has to be at the heart of desire not just educated, not just foisted from top down, not just controlled because the culture happens to be this way in the Southeast, but hearts formed by desire, trusting that, that this kind of way of serving one another changes the world, changes me, changes the world. Well, see, this anticipates the last step here. You see, it begins with instinct. We all worship. Everybody worships, right? We need a noble vision for worship. Why? Because 
that noble vision forms us. It forms us. Formation comes by desires centered and fulfilled, a sense of fulfillment centered on a noble vision. That forms us, forms us to become like what we worship. You become what you worship. Everybody worships. You need a noble vision because you become what you worship. Verse 9, it talks about them coming down the mountain, right? Coming down the mountain. They've seen, they've seen past the suffering of Jesus. Jesus is showing them the purpose of the suffering. Jesus is giving them a vision for formation past the suffering. Jesus is saying that through suffering, through the suffering of the servant, through a suffering servant rather than a conquering king, the world changes. He's saying through your own suffering, the world changes you will change. Through your own suffering, your story will be a compelling story of God's work in your life. He's pointing them beyond the cross, past the suffering, past the Passion Week, to say this is how the world changes. This is how hearts change. In a way, he's saying, like like this noble vision, in a way, he's saying, what kind of people would you want to run into throughout eternity? Like the garbage man. Like the one who's reciprocal towards the garbage man, who understands, hey, he served me. He was so generous to me. I'm going to reciprocate. That's why Jesus is saying over and over again, let those who have ears, let them hear. There are some who will be changed through their own suffering. Some who will be changed by the suffering of others who pour themselves out for the sake, even at the cost of pain, the sake of others' growth. He's taking them down the mountain to apply what they've seen. He's taking them back down the mountain. They're on the mountain to see what happens in fruition, right? But he's taking them back down the mountain to say, there's purpose in your suffering. There's purpose in my suffering. I'm doing this, I'm pouring myself out, and I'm calling you to do the same. Because we're formed by what we worship. And he wants this noble vision of servant leadership to form us. We're formed by what we worship. Jay Mishner, an author, you know, novelist, many of you have read a bunch of his books, I'm sure. James Mitchner tells this story in one of his books about, uh, about, this man who worshipped the God of fertility and the God of death. And this was set in ancient times, and they, they worshipped this, this God, Ungut, the God of fertility, and the God, Thanatos, of death. And so uh, he, there was in the village where he lived a call for a sacrifice, sacrifice of a child. And the lot fell on his household. So he went to take his son to be sacrificed at the temple where they worshiped. And his son was sacrificed. The life of his child was taken. His wife, heartbroken. 
And then there was a call for, uh, for someone to spend the week in the temple to oversee all of the, the temple duties. And the, the payback would be to be able to be there with the temple prostitute that represented the goddess of fertility. And this man volunteered. His wife left the temple crestfallen, and she said this, if my husband worshiped different gods, he would be a different man. If we worshiped a different God, we would be different people. And so the confrontation here is, is God, God no matter what? Are we worshiping no matter what? Is he God in our suffering? Malcolm Geith is a great contemporary poem, poet, Scottish. He, um, he's written a number of poems for Lent, and one of them is on the transfiguration. I'm going to read it to you. And it talks about this idea that even our scars, even the dark glass of our suffering can become something beautiful for someone else's life. He says this, for that one moment in and out of time, he's talking about this transfiguration where Jesus is on the mountain, but you can also see Moses and you can see Elijah on their mountains, three mountains. For that one moment, in and out of time, on that one mountain where all moments meet, the daily veil that covers the sublime in darkling glass fell dazzled at his feet. There were no angels full of eyes and wings, just living glory full of truth and grace. The love that dances at the heart of things Think of that, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The love that dances at the heart of things shone out upon us from a human face. And to that light, the light in us leapt up. We felt it quicken somewhere deep within. A sudden blaze of long-extinguished hope trembled and tingled through the tender skin. Nor can this blackened sky of Good Friday, this darkened scar eclipse that glimpse of how things really are. We need to see how things really are so that we can have the strength to lend to other people even our suffering, to be poured out in times of difficulty through our roles, through our stories, and into the lives of our neighbors. This morning I would as we come to this table where you see a life poured out, broken and poured out for you and for me. I want you to picture your roles and picture your relationships. Picture all of your spheres of influence and consider this morning, how might you be called to pour yourself out for the sake of someone else? This is a, not a 
religious table. It's not a Presbyterian table. This is a table of relationship. And so it doesn't matter what you've thought or said or been or done. If you call upon Jesus as Lord and Savior, you belong at this table. Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you this morning because you know, we know you welcome us. You welcome us to this table, this dance of love that you invite us into. So, Lord, we ask that you would take this bread and cup and would you use them to strengthen us, to encourage us, to remind us of what is true, to remind us of you when you worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.